Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. It's good to be here. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. So if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're able to participate with us in that way. Um, you know, I... Uh, I'm actually a second-generation Christian. My parents grew. Uh, my my parents both came to place their faith in Christ um, in adulthood, in their 20s and 30s, and met each other in the church. And the church that I grew up in was uh, a bunch of folks that around my parents' age that all got saved in what was called the Jesus People Movement. So it was a bunch of hippies and counterculture folks that found Jesus, and then out of that, a church started. So I grew up in this church that was. 10 years old maybe at the time, uh, with a bunch of people that had never followed Jesus before, uh, that were all trying to figure it out as they went along. And there was a lot of good that was about that. There was, there was a freshness in that church to reach the lost. Uh, these people that had, had laid down their drugs for Jesus and that had used their, uh, their musical instruments that they had played in bars now to worship Jesus on Sunday mornings. And, and they were so passionate about preaching the gospel, about telling other people about the hope that they had found. Um, there was also some weird things in my church, I'm going to be honest. Um, there, there, because there was so many young people that didn't have a, a solid biblical foundation and uh, there was times where I remember things being talked about at church as if everybody should do them. And uh, one of those things I remember, there, there was a, a movement, and it was, it was a pretty short-lived movement, that uh, TVs were, were really bad. Like anything on TV was evil and sinful and corruptible, so everybody in the church should just get rid of their TV. And so I remember like, we're like, okay, I guess no TV. And, you know, within six months, everybody realized, well, they're not that bad. And they started reappearing in people's homes. There was, a, there was another season where I remember um, somebody had read somewhere, and this is like before the internet, so I don't know where this came from, but um, that, that Christmas trees were pagan. And so no, this Christmas, nobody should have a, a Christmas tree, and so people wouldn't have a Christmas tree. Uh, or that, that, that any, anything having to do with uh, you know, drinking a glass of wine, that was completely sinful, and so people wouldn't do that, or at least they wouldn't tell anybody they would do that. And, um, so, so growing up in the church, there was some really good things, the, and there was some, sometimes some really weird things as well. And if you've grown up in the church, uh, maybe you've experienced some of those kind of man-made ideas that infiltrate the church. You know, the reality is that the church is always influenced uh, by culture and to a degree even shaped by culture. Every church exists within a culture from the first century to the 21st century. And uh, one of the timeless challenges of the church uh, is to not let weird at best or completely false teachings at worst to come into the church and actually lead us away from the good news of Jesus, from the supremacy of of Jesus, from the power of Jesus. And if ever there was a timeless message or a timely message for us, it would be in our next passage in 2 Peter. And if you're just joining us, we're walking through the, the, the book of 2 Peter, the letter of 2 Peter. Peter started out basically saying, hey, you've got faith, that's good, but you need to walk it out. You need to add to it. You can't just... Uh, come to church on Sunday, nod to uh, the, the preacher, sing a couple songs, and expect your faith to grow that way. It just won't. It'll be stagnant. 
It'll be, as James said, it'll be even useless if you're not applying it. So Peter starts out with that last week or two weeks ago. And then last week, um, Caleb shared about how our faith is part of the historic promises of God. That God spoke through humans and by his Holy Spirit, these promises were, were given to his people and they were fulfilled in Jesus. And so this morning, I'm getting a teeny bit of feedback here. It's probably my electric personality doing it. <laughs> this morning, we're going to look uh, together at the next section uh, in chapter 2 of Second Peter. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Second Peter chapter 2. If you haven't been with us, Second Peter's right after First Peter. Um, or you can skip, if you have a, a pew Bible, to page 1052 towards the back of your Bible. There's a lot of... A lot of uh, a lot of pages in the Bible, so 1052. We're, uh, we are a church, sorry, 1051. That's incorrect. Already false teaching right there. Uh, we are a church that believes in the Bible. Our faith and practice is based on the Bible. Everything we want to do is tethered to the word of God. And so as we live in a culture and we're influenced by the culture, we filter these influences through what God's word says because we believe it is the ultimate truth. And because we're a church that believes the Bible and that holds to the Bible, we're also a church that reads the Bible. And so we're going to have you on your own right now. Go ahead and read this passage, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And then we're going to ask the Lord to make it real for us. So take just a moment of awkward silence and read chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Father, this morning we ask that you give us a word, a word inspired by your spirit, a word from our head to our hearts, a word that allows us to see the movements of our culture, the influences of our day through the truth of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you inspired these words. They're written down. They're preserved for us. So would you make them alive for us and relevant for us? Would you speak this morning? 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The gospel, the, the good news of Jesus, it, it was this proclamation that, that God had come near, that his kingdom was breaking into the corruption and brokenness of the world, and that freedom had come. Jesus talked about this kingdom more than anything else in his time on earth. But he didn't just talk about the kingdom of God. He also demonstrated the reality of the kingdom. He, he did that by showing that he was God, that he had the power of God, God in a bod, so to speak. And he, he performed miracles, but the miracles in themselves weren't the point. He, he healed people, but the healing wasn't the point. The point was that what God had promised long ago was now being fulfilled for humanity. That Jesus had come here. That God was about to bring something to the earth that it desperately needed. A, a breaking of the power of sin. A freeing of its stranglehold on, human, on humanity. The, the book of 2 Peter opens with this challenge of people to live out their faith by the power of God. The power of God given to them through the work of Jesus. And as Caleb unpacked for us last week in the second half of chapter 1, the, the power of God has always been at work. It, it was evidenced in creation, and then it was reaffirmed in the miraculous fulfillment of ancient prophecies about Jesus. Jesus knew about these things, as Caleb mentioned last week, but there was no way he could have fulfilled them on his own. It was truly a miracle of God. So we need to remember this power of God as we read, and we need to guard against those who would try and lead us away from the power of God. We need to recognize it. We need to be on guard. The very words of the Bible that we just read this morning on our own have been generated by humans like Peter, but the origins of these words is in the Holy Spirit. The verse preceding this, uh, 121, speaks of this, how it was the Holy Spirit of God that worked through humanity. But how do you know? How, how do you know what is true? How do you know who God is and what is of God and what isn't? As we were challenged to add to our faith the very attributes of God himself, the very beginning of this letter, this morning we are directed to be on guard against the false teachers who would encourage us in the opposite direction. And so Peter starts his letter saying this, but there were also false prophets among the people. This is pre-Jesus. Just as there will be false teachers among you after Jesus has left. They were around before you were born, they're around now, and they'll be around later. If there was concern to guard against false teachers in the first century when this was written, then it's only been magnified now. We live in the information age where wacko conspiracies are everywhere. And anyone with access to the internet can get an international audience. Nobody knows that one post may go viral, and it may, just, it may very well start a movement. Isn't that crazy to think that some middle schooler in their basement could start a movement? <laughs> Literally, that's what happens at times. And the, so the lies of our age are not just out there, but they also make their way in here, into the family of God. 
The people of God are just as susceptible to conspiracy theories, whether it's about the election or postmodern truth or teachings on human identity and sexuality. There is a lot of teaching happening. And it's coming at us faster and in a higher volume than it's ever come at any point in history. So when Peter wrote this, he had no intention of thinking of the internet or mass media. He was thinking of the first century world where it took one-to-one interaction, where at best somebody could write a, a letter and hope that people copied it painstakingly and distributed it. So just as we recognize today that God by his Holy Spirit has spoken and still does today, there are also those who speak counter to the ways of God. Sometimes it's hard to tell. As Peter says, they secretly introduce these things. So Peter gives us three examples we just read of what false teaching looks like. And I'm going to be honest, as I looked at these, I was pretty amazed that they were written 2,000 years ago because they are still so relevant for the church today. So what do false teachers do? Well, the first thing they do is they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. They deny Jesus. They follow the depraved conduct, and they let their, essentially let their lifestyle dictate truth. And they exploit people for their own gain. And the important context here is that these people are in the church. Peter says they were, the false prophets were among God's people back then, and the false teachers are among God's people today. They are here. Now, I'm not saying this to make you start looking around and guessing who they are. I don't have anybody in mind this morning. But the promise is true today that these teachings work their way into the church. And so again, false teachers, they deny Jesus. They let their lifestyle dictate truth. And they exploit you for their own gain. Now, these, this could happen through small group leaders in a church. It could happen through Christian educators or professors or even teaching pastors in a local church. The false teachers may have a massive following, a huge social media presence, or they may even have a primetime show on TBN. You know, years ago, I was overseeing um, small groups for a church, and I had a guy come to me with a, with a great idea for a small group. It was going to be all about the end times, when Jesus was going to return. Now, I grew up in a church that was all about the end times, so immediately my warning flags went off, because there's a lot of weird ideas about the end times. There's been a whole book series written on the end times. And so I, I said, oh, tell me, what's the curriculum that you're going to be using for this group? And he says, it's something I wrote myself. I go, oh, this is going to be really good. And I said, well, I, could I see it? That would be great. And he goes, sure, I'll send it to you. So he sent me this very long Word document. And I, I'm just going to say right up front, God had the best of intentions. I, I don't believe he was uh, purposely trying to mislead anybody. But what I ended up reading was pages and pages of copy and paste from random internet sites about the end times. 
that made no sense, most of which weren't tethered to Scripture, some of which said they were tethered to Scripture but weren't even citing Scripture. And as I combed through this, I thought, wow, these are the things we need to guard against. If we were to say to this man, yes, you can lead this group. We're giving him a, a semblance of authority in the local church, and then he's going to speak from authority to people that don't know any better, and they're all going to walk away thinking this is the truth. So it was an innocent in some ways, thing, but it could also have been very devastating as it would have given people false ideas about who God is and how he works and what he's going to do one day. And we don't want to, as a church, uh, start to become heresy hunters in our church. But what we do want to be as a church is we want to be wise. We want to be discerning. We don't, we don't want to rake people over the coals when they misspeak because, frankly, I've misspoke a lot of times. I don't want to be raked over the coals. Ooh. We don't want to misunderstand people when they're trying to convey the truth, but they just don't know how to do it accurately. But we do want to be wise. We do want to be on guard. So again, this is how false teachers usually operate. Still today, these three things are in play. So let's go ahead and think through these in our own context. Because Peter doesn't really say exactly how this is happening or might be happening in the local church. So let's us think through how these might be at play in ours. Let's start from the bottom. Exploit people for their own gain. Here's the thing. Liars and manipulators, they never tell you who they are. They just lie and manipulate. They just do what they do best. And they, they often take the truth or something that sounds like the truth and they just turn it a little bit. And you know what happens, right? Like if you're, if you're headed down, if you're headed in a direction and you just slightly are off at the very beginning, ultimately at the end, you're going to be way off. And that's what, that's what false teachers do. When Peter says they are secretly introducing destructive heresies, that is usually done with really good, even scripturally sounded scripturally flavored teaching. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. You know, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan to give up on his assignment for humanity, Satan used three things that at face value probably made sense to Jesus. The first thing Jesus, Satan used to try and get Jesus off course, was he used his physical desire. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. And what does Satan do? Hey, give up on the fasting. You have the power to make that bread, that stone, turn into bread. And then you can eat something. And that, that probably made sense. Like, I am hungry. I do have the power. Why not? But Jesus didn't give in to that. He stuck with the truth of what God had called him to do. So then Satan tries another thing. He, he prayed on the human desire to be in control. How many of us in this last year and a half have been having such a hard time simply for the fact that we're not in control? I can't control what masks, when mask mandates are going to happen. I can't control who's going to get sick in my family. I can't control the stock market. I can't control who's going to get elected. I can't control nothing. And it messes with us. And so Jesus goes, or Satan comes to Jesus and he says, hey, listen, see everything spread out before you. I will give this to you. What's he trying to do? Don't die for all people. Just take control right now. You can avoid that. Our humanity, man, that works. If you offer me that right now, oh, that would be tempting. But Jesus didn't succumb. And so lastly, 
Satan tries to use Scripture. He tries to use Scripture to get Jesus off course. Hey, throw yourself off this mountain. Escape this world. Doesn't the Bible say that he will command his angels to guard you? Well, it does say that. You're right. The Bible does say that. But that's not the context for this. Jesus knew the truth, and he knew the application of the truth. So false teachers, they're going to exploit you for their own gain. And there's no better illustration of this than in the prosperity teachings that have been bred and fed and imported and exported by our country, American culture. In the 1980s, there was a famous tele-evangelist named Jim Baker. Many of you know the story of Jim Baker. He had a massive audience. And one of his key phrases that he would say to people is, God wants you to be happy. Well, that sounds scriptural. God wants you to prosper. Well, of course he does. God wants you to be rich. Hmm, that sounds good. And the next thing he would say is, so give to me so your wildest dreams will come true. (laughs) False teachers will exploit you with their own fabricated stories. They will do what they can so that they gain, even use biblically sounding arguments. This thinking of Jim Baker really started in the 70s, but it became popular in the 80s, is now known as the prosperity gospel or prosperity theology. And it has been exported all around the world. If you roll into a developing nation where people are living on less than a dollar a day and you say, yeah, Jesus loves you, you died for your sin, but guess what Jesus really wants you to do? He wants you to be rich. He wants you to not have to walk miles to get water or to worry about the meals that your kids are... Jesus wants you to to be wealthy and to prosper. Just give to my ministry and he will give you back. The Bible says, if you sow, then you will reap a thousandfold. Oh, it does say that in scripture. And so this theology, this understanding, has created Christians that are not following Jesus. They're following after their own carnal desires and they're being exploited for it. Years later, while in prison for, you guessed it, fraud, this same televangelist, Jim Baker, read through the Bible, get this, for the very first time. And he admitted he was wrong. He wrote in a subsequent book, 1996, first time he read through the Bible was in prison. He admitted he had taken scriptures out of context and used them to manipulate people into giving to his ministry. So when Peter warns the early church that false teachers in their greed will exploit you with fabricated stories, he was speaking both an unfortunate and a timeless truth. So whether it's someone like Baker or someone like, more locally, Mark Driscoll, who continually touted his own growth of his church and while leveraging that same growth to sell books and to make thousands speaking at seminars. This is one of the key signs of a false teacher, of a false leader. And it's why I'm not even going to ask you to buy lemonade for my kid's lemonade stand. I don't even want to touch that. So the second thing that Paul 
mentions is that false teachers will let their lifestyle dictate the truth. Peter phrases it this way. He says, many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute or disgrace, you could say. What kind of depraved conduct does Peter have in mind here? We get a pretty good idea of what Peter had in mind in the verses that follow. Well, and also from the examples that he gives of evil, Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah's day. And he gives examples of the things that they love. Much of this had to do with carnal desires, with sexuality and with lust. You know, in recent years, there's been quite a bit of stirring in Christian culture in America. As following on the heels of the Me Too movement, there was also a Church Too movement. Notable leaders have been exposed in recent years, found guilty and unrepentant of sexual sin, of adultery, of abuse, and horrible cases of cover-up. And this is exactly what Peter is talking about. These people can literally commit these sins and then get up on a Sunday and preach and lead, and yet at the very same time, they're not submitting to this very truth they are preaching and telling others about. Instead, they're being led by their own depraved conduct, and the church, the bride of Christ, is stained by it. So as these cases have gotten public Knowledge. These are one example but of the high-profile cases, but there's far more subtle false teaching that has worked its way into the church. And it's this general belief that what we feel, what we desire, what we want is what we should follow. Man, I, I always say this, but we all nod and smile to Scripture until it says something we disagree with. And then we become theologians and we go, how can I make Scripture fit my desire? How can I make Scripture affirm the ways that I want to live my life? And at that point, we're no longer following a big God, a mighty God that created heaven and earth. We're following one that we've shrunk down to our size. So what does this look like? Well, Jesus said very clearly, if anyone wants to be his disciple, they actually have to be ready to die to themselves to their own desires, their own wants, and their own wills. But the teaching of our age takes Jesus out of the center of our worship and exchanges it for my desires, my conduct, my lifestyle, my truth. And when this teaching enters the church, what we get is a Christianity without the supremacy of Christ. Instead of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, he's just a bobblehead doll on the dashboard nodding in approval wherever we go. You go, you do you, your truth. And we hear this. Have you, have you heard this? Have you heard the whispers of this in our culture? Well, it's not a whisper anymore. Now, all sorts of immorality is celebrated because we have said our truth our, sorry, our desires is what dictates our truth. And this leads to the third example of false teachers. Ultimately, they deny Jesus. Now, growing up in the church, there was a phrase that we would use for people who no longer professed Christ and no longer part of the church, and the phrase was, some of you maybe heard this, backslider. You hear that? 
Man, it almost felt like a Christian swear word at times. You know, Jim, he's a backslider. Oh, my gosh. You know, in the days before social media, when somebody would fall away from the faith, unless they were in your church, nobody else heard about it. But now there's blog posts written, there's ex-evangelical websites. It's promoted almost as another belief system. Look at me, I've rejected Christ, and now I'm a, uh, my identity is as someone who rejected Christ. Oftentimes in our day, we don't use the term backslider so much. When people reject Christ and the Christian faith, it's often the final step in what is touted now as deconstruction. And deconstruction happens, uh, it starts to happen when people start to push back on particular beliefs and doctrine of the upbringing, which in itself isn't always bad. We have a Christmas tree in our house. My old church would have been upset about that, right? Like, I mean, some of those things you go, wow, that was silly. Why did our church make that a thing? It almost was like equal with the gospel. So it is so good and healthy to examine the, the outworkings of truth in the local church and go, man, some of those just don't line up with God's word. I mean, that was the whole Protestant Reformation 500 years ago. So it's not always bad. Sometimes deconstruction is because of genuine hurts that have happened in the family of God. And, and people have to, to, to step away from, for a moment a bit and go, wait a second, did what I experienced in church is that indicative of who God is? And when you do that, you find out, no, it's not. Like, literally, there is a whole group of people in our country that love Jesus and are committed to Jesus, and they were owned by other people who said that they love Jesus. Slaveholders in the South were going to church and beating their slaves that afternoon, and yet somehow... Black people in our culture were able to separate what they saw from who God really is. And they said, this is not that. So deconstruction is, can be so helpful and so healthy. But deconstruction that leads to a complete abandonment of the faith isn't often because of church hurt or weird things in church culture. Usually deconstruction that denies Jesus is because Jesus is the issue. Not the church. As we've already observed, false teachers are in it for themselves. So Peter says they introduce destructive heresies. Trying to twist and distort scripture. Trying to deconstruct every teaching of godliness and what a true disciple looks like. And eventually as they've dismantled the house uh, that Jesus built, they ultimately have to face Jesus himself. There is a church uh, six years ago, multi-campuses in the Seattle area. I have a friend that moved from the Spokane area to, to be on staff with this church. The church is called Eastlake. And Eastlake, as they were trying to be as inclusive as they could and trying to reach as many people as they could, they, they started pushing back on kind of traditional church culture, which, again, isn't always bad. But eventually, as they were deconstructing that as a church, as leadership, they began to just start to ignore parts of the Bible as well. Now today, Eastlake denies Jesus. There was a teaching series that they had recently where they said, you know, Jesus is a symbol. And they will regularly have people from other faiths come in and talk about how their faith is just as valid. 
Needless to say, that it's not multi-campuses. It is one small group of people now that have denied who Jesus is. John Calvin, one of the famous reformers from 500 years ago, says, that, says this, as Christ is the end of the law and the gospel, and he has within himself all the treasures of wisdom and understanding, so also is he the mark at which all heretics aim and direct their arrows. So ultimately, if our deconstruction leads us to face Jesus, and Jesus is, a, is an obstacle of our deconstruction, then we've lost it all. In one of his most poignant interactions from his ministry, and Lavelle alluded to this earlier, Jesus tells the huge crowd that's gathered with him, unless you're ready to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. In other words, unless you're all in, unless you really believe in me, and almost everybody left, except for Peter, who wrote this letter, and some of his friends. And Jesus said, well, are you going to leave too? <laughs> he says, we have nowhere else to go. Your words are truth and life. Peter's not the only one in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, that's concerned about the false teaching that affects the church. Many of Peter's words that we read this morning are mimicked in Jude's letter to the church. They're mimicked in Paul's letters to the church. So why the writing about false teachers here? It could be because Peter's at the end of his life and he wants to make sure the next generation can recognize false teachers before he goes, like a parent who's preparing his children. It could be because the word of this kind of teaching uh, has made its way back to Peter and people in the church are upset. Like, these people, they're exploiting people and it's working, <laughs> Like, how is this happening? And so this is where Peter reminds us that one day people will have to account for their words. So while at times it seems like there's no consequence, Peter says, their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. They will have to pay for the words that they speak. You know, Jim Baker eventually went to jail for his manipulation, but greater than jail, greater than human punishment, he's going to have to face God someday. And so Peter reminds his followers, hey, this isn't right, but just know that God is a God of justice. He's not going to let it slide. And then Peter gives these if statements. For if God did not spare his angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in the chains of darkness to be upheld for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood and its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Just as he did before this section, Peter wants his readers to root their current trials in God's past deliverance. If all these 
evils have been dealt with before, you can know that God in his unchanging character will deal with them again. And this is good news. Good news that evil isn't going to win. That like if you've been abused, that your abuser will have to account for their sins, if not in this life, in the next one. That if an evil regime like the Taliban was to, is to overrun a country and to oppress women and children, there will be a day when they have to account, whether it's to the United States, to Europe, or not, doesn't matter. God is a God of justice and righteousness. That is good news. Unless you're the one that's perpetrating evil. And so as Christians, it should take us, make us take very seriously what we believe and how we live. Because as Peter talks about the judgment of God on false teachers, he says this. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Wait a second. Are we, are we still talking about false teachers here? Because this sounds a lot like me. How many times in my life, as I've thought about it, have I let my desires and my thoughts and my actions lead me into sin? And then in an effort to justify my sin, I've rejected the authority of God who created me. I said, oh, I agree with everything you said, but that, because that's personal. I can relate to what Paul says in Romans 7. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? The answer? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the answer to the injustice in the world and the false teaching in his church, and Jesus is going to deal with it. And Jesus is the answer to the sin in our hearts, and Jesus wants to deal with it, and he will deal with it. We can either despise him for what he's done and cling to our sin and its consequences, or we can give our lives to him and cling to his saving grace. You and me have that choice, and it's a daily choice, a choice to believe what he said as the ultimate truth, whether it's in the first century or the 21st century, to recognize the false teachers that are in our midst, but also to recognize the false teaching that we've believed, that we live out. And so my hope for us as a church is that we would lovingly nudge each other towards the truth of God. Again, we're not on heresy hunts here. We're not trying to condemn people because that's not what Jesus did either. But we are to guard the truth of the gospel to make it central to our church. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your timeless word. We thank you that Peter, when he wrote these words 2,000 years ago, that by your Holy Spirit you had in mind today, August 2021, here in Renton, Washington, in this country called America. Lord, we... Thank you for your eternal wisdom and eternal truth that's been delivered to us, that's been preserved for us. Lord, would you give us eyes to see, first in our own hearts, 
where we have despised your authority, where we have been led by our own desires over your truth. Would you forgive us, Lord? We thank you that you do. We know it's in your nature to forgive. That was your mission that Satan was trying to overthrow. You are forgiving God. And Lord, as we receive your forgiveness, would you renew our hearts and minds? Give us discernment to see and to hear and to know what is true and right and what is not. And Lord, would we not just cling to the truth, but would we walk it out in our daily lives? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.